Blog Talk Radio. my heart 
Roberta. It's like your book. I mean, you know, just the way it flows because I you are you are in touch with your spirit. I mean, and and there's you're able to so beautifully integrate all the pieces of you. You know, the lawyer and also, you know, the researcher, the thinker and the heartful person. So I I admire you for that and I'm so happy to have you back. Well, thank you. This is obviously the reason I was born to write Liberating Jesus, and uh-huh. uh, it's resonating with a great many people. So many people um, want to find the answer, and the answer lies in Jesus. It just does not lie at all in what we used to think was the message of Jesus. It lies in what's actually in the Gospels, which most people don't ever read, or if they read it, they just read the parts they think uh, they like. But the Gospels are truth, and I can prove that. Um, I think it's important that people understand why I got started on this, because it's kind of a screwy screwy hobby for a lawyer. Um, When I was eight years old, April of 1955, I woke up in the middle of the night in terror, thinking there's no God. And I was a little Christian child. I I was really scared. And in the midst of that terror, there was a bright light in my room, like burning magnesium, very bright, just a flash. And a voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Now, when you're eight, everything surprises you, so nothing really does. I just thought at the time, wasn't it handy if you forget there's a God, they remind you, and I went back to sleep. But it still uh-huh. feels as if that just happened, that experience, and it really yes. has shaped my whole life. Yes, yes. You know, that's so beautiful because I think during the course of many a journey, there's a question like that. Um, in my own journey, I wrote in a journal when I was very young, what if God is an imposter? <laughs> Because I was, you know, taught in a very conservative evangelical home, and I think I was about 13 when I was really struggling, although even younger than that. And so I think I think that's that's just amazing and wonderful that you had that experience, and it's still present. I mean, it's it's influencing your work. Now, I I I guess the best way there's just so much wonderful information in your book and I've I've taken reams of notes here today and oh, and I want to I could probably explore this for 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 a long time but I I think maybe a good place to start here because I think this is very present today um um when when I speak I'm very connected to the evangelical community, having come from that and knowing and loving many people in the midst of it. And, you know, one of the things that we're hearing a lot about, and you start your book in this way, and we all were taught this way, those of us who were touched by it, is about the end times. And there's a lot going on in the world. I went to a page this morning that said the stock index right now, not that I pay that much attention to it, it had an emotional meter. It says, what's driving it today? And it was pegged to extreme fear. And I thought, isn't that an analogy in general? I mean, just about the whole end times, um, for me, the struggle of, of of somehow reconciling you're going to slaughter the people that you love um, you know that that kind of got me out of thinking about it you know that Jesus comes right. with a sword um yeah. not you know and what about all that and how how do we focus on the peace Jesus is the prince of peace 
Yes. There is, there is nothing about the meaning or the message of Jesus that has anything whatsoever to do with end times. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God on earth. The only way we can change the world is to change ourselves. And the only way, or, the, or I think the only way, the best way to change ourselves is to literally follow the teachings of Jesus. What a, you know, what a new concept that is. Nobody does. People say, well, I'm trying to love, my, you know, trying my best to love. I'm really trying to forgive. That's not what Jesus said. He, he didn't say get a good solid B in loving. He said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love perfectly. Forgive completely. How many times, Master, should we, should we learn, forgive? Seven times? And he said, no, 70 times, seven times, or depending on their translation, uh, um, seven times, seven times. It dep- it, seven was a magical, you know, way too much kind of number back then. So to say seven times was extreme. He said 70 times, seven times, always. You must forgive always, no matter what. They hit your left cheek, you turn your right one. They take your cloak, you give them your tunic. Jesus is not a weakling. Jesus is not a compromising teacher. And Jesus is, in fact, the presence of God on earth. Jesus is, in fact, he did, in fact, come to save the world, but not the way um, Paul told us he came to save the world. He came to save the world by helping us to transform our, our lives and our hearts and bring the kingdom of God on earth. He says it right in the Gospels. Why don't we read him? Yes. Now, now I know that um, you know people may be coming to this show from, from multiple backgrounds, and a question I had right at first is, and, and I think you address this later in your book that that we we are all expressions of God on earth because there's no no separation, and so right. I guess um and, and I want to better understand you know what what you're sharing because again all of us come from different perspectives is yeah. is I mean there's no doubt I mean that that there's just an amazing set of teachings here that are being missed i mean yes and and yet they they also show that that we are inseparable from god as well you know that that god is is with us in us we have genuine new revelation now and i think it's important that we all understand that that's exactly what it is Uh but first Recall something Jesus says. I don't. I don't have a Bible in front of me, so I can't quote. Uh, I can't cite the, the passage. But he says, "If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." He says that nobody listens yes. to him. Oh yes, the, I the love teachings that. are the core of everything Jesus came to do for us. Yes. Yeah. Understand yet, where I come from. I started out um, on trying to understand what happens at and after death because I had to figure out what happened to me when I was eight years old, and actually it happened again when yeah. I was 20. I majored in religion, actually early Christian history in college, because I never asked anybody any questions. I thought I'd learn what had happened to me. But, of course, yeah. no one ever brought – the only people – until I was in my 40s, I thought the only people who have, had ever had that experience were Moses with his burning bush – the persecutor of the earliest Christians, Saul, when he was converted by Jesus uh-huh. on the road, 
and me, a little kid. I mean, that made no sense, but that's that's all I could believe. It was only after my mother had a similar experience when my father was dying that I came to understand I was not a freak, and I started to talk about my experience. I, it's a ra- it's yeah. very rare, much more rare than near-death experiences, but there are other yeah. people who have had it happen to them, and it seems to be something that happens when we were in, we're in spiritual crisis, not so much... Uh, you know, can't pay the mortgage or anything like that, a spiritual crisis. Yeah. But yeah. I started I, then. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say I relate to this because part of my own awakening much older um, was a spiritual emergence, a type of a crisis, but I had to experience it. So I, I get this, and some pretty amazing things can happen in the midst of that. I mean, it, it can really rock your world. It so, can rock your um, world, yes. Uh huh. And and I wouldn't and, be here doing what I'm doing today, this show, if not for what happened to me uh, many years ago. So so I we're relate all, completely. We're all called <laughs> in different ways, and isn't it yeah. wonderful that we are to serve yeah. and to share? But yeah. what what be, because nobody ever told me what that was about, I had to figure it mm-hmm. out myself, and I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know that came from somewhere, and I think it came from the place where the dead go, so I have to figure that out. And that became my life's work. It really was only after Raymond Moody's Life After Life where he coined the term near-death experiences that we started to get a lot of good information. And the great thing about books is they all got bibliographies. So I started reading, and then I would go to the bibliography and read everything there. And I came to the original source material, which is abundant. In the first part of the 20th century, latter part of the 19th, we received a treasure trove of communications from dead people, usually through deep trance mediums, although there were some other methods too. And I wanted to know about what it was like where they were there, where, where, where they were. So I started to read these books. And I thought I would just find some coincidences here and there, and I'd be able to piece it together. The amazing thing is when you read hundreds of these, hundreds and hundreds, you find that they are all talking about the same place, the same process, the same physics, the same pastimes there, the same definitions of God, the same definitions of of us, the same um, uh, reason we're on, on earth. It's all the same, and that could not be possible. These were received in the eastern part of the United States and also in uh, southern England. That wouldn't, it wouldn't, they wouldn't all be the same if they weren't talking about someplace real. So yeah. that's when I really got excited and, and got more and more into it. Um, I was the world's most zealous Christian for most of my life. I read the, yeah. the whole Bible cover to cover. I must have read the whole thing at least six times, and the New Testament at least twice that many times. I've, you know, you start remembering it. It becomes an old uh-huh. friend if you read uh-huh. it over and over over decades. Uh, the problem I soon came up with, though, soon it took me decades to get to this point. I found that while we can we know a great deal about. Um, the afterlife now and about the process of death and about how reality is structured because it's a real science so it shows us all kinds of things besides just anything to do with death that you learn a lot yeah. from this and and uh but 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 one thing i learned and this was a great crisis for me was that there's no evidence you have to be a Christian to get into heaven. There is no evidence God has ever judged a single human being. And in fact, Jesus tells us in the Gospels, God doesn't judge us. 
No religious figure judges us. Jesus says that too. We are our own afterlife judge. Jesus tells us that. So I, I went back. I had put down my Bible for a while because I was so distressed to have discovered that really none of the things I had spent my life believing and loving was panning out, and I was upset about that. Yeah. And I didn't want. I didn't want to judge the Lord. It took me a couple of years to be willing to pick up my Gospels again and just read what Jesus had said. And lo and behold, Jesus told us 2,000 years ago important things about God, reality, death, the afterlife, and the meaning and purpose of human life that we could not have confirmed in any way until the 20th century. He knew things 2,000 years ago. He was, we can prove now, independently prove that Jesus is genuine and he is genuinely God on earth. I think I can prove that. But on the other hand, I can prove that the religion that has his teachings neatly packaged inside its Bible is not is not God's. That that's a, a man made religion. So let's liberate Jesus. If we if we're following Jesus, and I don't care what anybody believes, go ahead and believe he died for your sins. That's okay. Just please also read his words. If if the only thing he came to do was to be a, a sacrifice, he wouldn't have had to say a blessed thing. He just says, okay, here I am, I'm your sacrifice, show me the cross, let me get up on there and do my thing. And then he leaves. He doesn't even have to rise from the dead if that's all he came to do. He came as our teacher. And he says that, and he makes it very clear that he does not want us to bury his teachings in, in just another, another belief system. He says, don't put new wine into old wineskins, because if you do, you're going to screw it up. You're going to have the <laughs> wineskins will, will burst, you know, you'll lose your wine, it'll make a mess. He was telling us there not to take his precious new teachings which are eternal teachings. This is the eternal, perfect word of God. Don't take those precious teachings and put them in just another religion because, you know, another old religion, is, is, is they, there, there'll be no way to fit it. And there hasn't been a way to fit it. And that's why people don't re- really read the Gospels except little parts of it because they're so inconsistent with the religion. But it's time now. And it's time because our world is in terrible straits. We are very close to coming to a point where, um, forget Armageddon, I mean, that'll be the least of what what goes wrong and what happens to us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is not going to come on a horse with a sword uh, and and somehow uh, save us from anything because, as he said, the kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is within each of us, and it's up to each of us to use his teachings to transform ourselves and thereby transform the world. That's why Jesus came, to teach us how to do that. And it's time to do it because, frankly, the only way to fight ISIS is by transforming ourselves. The only way to fight hatred and greed and racism and all the horrible things is by transforming each of us. And we then will be able to transform the world. Yes, yes. Oh, wow, you've just said... So much, and you know something that came to me as you were speaking, Roberta. And I know that you know the teaching of hell is very powerful within within Christianity with, within certain circles. Um, um, and what I've often thought, or something that helped wake me up, is that if you really were following the loving teachings of Jesus, you could never ever accept that anyone you love or even a stranger 
would be thrown into eternal torment, that you would do anything to assist that person or, you know, in, even in the afterlife. I mean, it just, it's so inconsistent. Do you know that even as a child, a sister showed me a note once that I wrote in church um, about loving your enemies. I wrote a note to my sister in church where I said, but doesn't that mean we need to love the devil? You know, and I wasn't saying let's all become Satanists. I mean, that's not what this child was saying, although some people today may accuse me of that. Um, No, and actually we talk about Satan. I don't, or you do in your book. I don't believe in Satan, and I know you, you don't, and we can talk about that in a moment. But the thing is, is it's inconsistent. I mean, you know, there's all this violence. And, you know, we accuse you, say, how do we heal the things in the world? You know, we're always saying, well, look at all the violence in these teachings, you know, and they're pointing to another book. Well, why don't you look in your own book about where it talks about dashing babies against rocks? And, I mean, there's some really harsh things in that you can surface. And hell itself is 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 inconsistent with every possible conscience you know, at every sense of conscience you should have. So, so anyway, I'll get on my 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 um my soapbox too with this. But it, it, let's let's look at biblical literalism because I know a lot of people raise the literalist the literalist interpretation and how you manage to do that since there are many disagreements over that over everything right. else. I mean that the yeah. book itself becomes an idol. And so I wonder if we could talk about that a little bit more and how that stands in the way of the real teachings. Yeah, I, I, first let's talk about uh, hell and Satan. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, remember, just navigate I am, through I am, it all. <laughs> I'm just fact-based. I, I look at the evidence, what the evidence tells us. The evidence yes. tells us that there is no powerful entity in opposition to God. And what's more, it is the, the laws of the physics that operate in the greater reality, which includes the universe but is much greater. Those laws of physics make it impossible for a powerful negative entity to exist. There, there are a yes. lot of demons, but the demons are, are mostly, apparently, once people who were once people, and they went way off track, and they're, they're, the effort is on going to rescue them. But the evil seems to be all human created. And that's pretty depressing when you think about it. Um, there is no fiery hell. There is what Jesus described. Let's listen to the master. He said there's an outer darkness where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And in fact, that is the lowest afterlife level. It's a punishment level. And the only way you get there is by judging yourself negatively or making yourself so hateful that you, your, your spiritual vibratory rate lowers to that extent. But there is no fiery hell. And God is perfect love. God has never judged a single human being. You are God's best beloved child. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. In fact, what the afterlife evidence shows us is that the only thing that exists is the mind of God. And our minds are all part of the mind of God. Your mind is inextricably part of God. You are eternal. You never began. You never will end. And all of this, if you, if you understand what's really going on, and then you go back and you read the words of the Master in the Gospels, you find he told us all this stuff 2,000 years ago. It's just that the people then could not possibly understand what he was saying, nor can the people today really understand what he's saying until we look at what is true about death and the afterlife. And ask yourself, for 2,000 years, we weren't allowed to know all this stuff about the afterlife. 
Why, beginning about 100 years ago, did we start to get such really good evidence of what's going on? And here's something else that's amazing. Jesus spoke Aramaic, and his words were heard by Iron Age people who could not have understood what he said at all. And then after a couple of generations, they started to write them down. But um, again, Aramaic. Then they were translated into Greek. From Greek, those words were translated into every modern language. How is it possible that when I take the afterlife evidence and I put, put it beside any modern English translation of the Gospels, they exactly match? If you take a direct translation from Aramaic to English, it's not nearly so accurate. It's that, it's that, it's obvious. It has to be true. It would be impossible otherwise. It has to be true that it is Jesus' intention to give us proof now. I mean, 2,000 years ago, the people didn't get it. And they, unfortunately, they, the, those teachings were wrapped up in a religion, but that religion is not of God. That religion is a first century Jewish sect. It's all wrapped up in original sin and the notion of sacrifice and a very scary God. Yes. None of that. None of that is real. None of that has any objective reality. It is, it is a religion. It's a belief system. It's as if we have spent the past 2,000 years with this beautiful package in our hands and playing with the wrapping. I mean, we're a toddler. We don't know any better. We're playing with the wrapping. It's now time to open that wrapping and look at our gift. And our gift is the greatest set of teachings about how to perfect ourselves in the world that have ever been given to us. And they work now as well as or perhaps better than they ever would have worked before. People who actually are living by the teachings of Jesus are transforming their lives. They're making themselves happy and loving and gentle and positive and pure and true and every good possible thing. And that's the only way the only way we're going to fix our world. We can bring the kingdom of God on earth. I mean, we pray for it every day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's not up to him to do. It's up to us to do. He gave us the tools, those precious, perfect teachings of Jesus. That's our tools. Time for us to start using those tools. Yes. You know, something I've observed, Roberta, is that and and I I have like I said I relate to many many evangelicals or people in my life um, very directly and and just and I love all, all everyone in my life and just something I've observed is um, the more um, people and including people who who consider themselves very conservative just somehow don't focus on all the other stuff i have noticed that the people who seem to be the most loving in their lives with the fruit just kind of embraces a wrapper yeah this is literal but don't focus on that they only seem to focus on the love totally and then they shine forth and then then they find it within that system because somehow they're they're able to just kind of not pay attention to the inconsistencies, you know, just even while saying that, yeah, I believe this. And But then there are people, and I was one of these, that, that just are in anguish over it. I mean, I was in utter anguish over the inconsistencies. I mean, I from a very yeah. young age, because it didn't work. I mean, and then I couldn't find the love, because if this was God... You know, right, it's, right. it just it's, who was God? It was between a, yes. a Satan and a Satan. I mean, that's kind yes. of how it how it felt, and it was very yes. hard. 
until I yes, woke you're, up. You're, you're totally right about that. Yeah. Anybody who actually sits down and reads, starts with Genesis 1 and goes right through the end of Revelation, yeah. do that, and then tell me that you still believe that all of that could possibly be the work of a loving or even a sane and rational and consistent yeah. God. It can't be. Where did the notion that that whole, you know, 66 books came from God, was is God's inerrant word? Where did that notion come from? It came from the councils that put the Bibles together. And, and how did they know? They told us, well, this, mm-hmm. this is real because we're inspired by God. Well, I could tell you I'm inspired by God till the cows come home, and you're not going to believe me. And we shouldn't believe them either. We should look at what, what the book says. And even the people who say this is all the inspired word of God, they don't really follow it all. I mean, read Leviticus and ask yeah. yourself, if you are following all of those rules, there is nobody listening, yeah. and nobody knows any. Nobody who's listening knows anybody who follows all those rules. Yeah. If one you know, of those I, rules fails, then yeah. the whole thing has to be considered to be not the inspired word of God until we can prove otherwise. I mean, yeah. God deserves at least the benefit of the doubt from us. There truly yeah. is a genuine God, and that genuine God is far, far greater, far more loving, far more powerful, far more perfect than I ever believed he was when I was a Christian. I mean, yeah. the, the, the problem that we have is that Christianity instills in us a great fear. Yes. But because the, the Christian God is scary. I mean, we have to, I, yeah. I'm sorry, the God, Christian God is scary. I've been a Protestant um, United Church of Christ for many years, and then I married a Catholic and became the most zealous Catholic you ever saw. In every Catholic church, or nearly every Catholic church, above the altar is a life-size, full-color, bleeding Jesus on a cross. Yeah. And even in Protestant churches, there's an empty cross. But the cross is not the point with Jesus. The teachings the teachings he tells us those are the point there there's no evidence that the death of jesus on the cross has ever made a difference for anybody or needed to god is ask yourself i mean if i'm sorry to say this this is a hard thing to say ask yourself if you've got several children which of those you would most enjoy watching be horribly murdered so you can forgive the rest that they messed up the living room and if you're if you're in horror at that thought and you should you should be yeah. Ask yourself how you could possibly be more loving and more forgiving than God. You're not. Yeah, that's You're it. Not. You know, I have to tell you something, Roberta. Some years ago, in part of my waking up, I asked a question on a very popular Christian apologetics forum, and it was basically, how can you be happy in heaven with loved ones being tortured in hell? And no one could answer. It became one of the most popular posts. Actually, I think it became the <laughs> most popular. I'm forgetting. It was so yeah. many years. Part of, well, and the thing is, is, you know, those listening who come from that background, that is a very important question because what are you going to give up? Either you become a zombie and forget about them or you lose all sense of conscience and empathy. Right. I mean, That's it, what it, a wonderful – you're right. Right. I know, and no one could answer it. The best answer, and actually I eventually asked it on the Oprah page, and it got to the front page of Oprah, too. I used to write as a on her forum, just anonymously. Nobody, I was bridge yeah. builder. I, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It got high there, too, because the best answer I ever got, and I think it was on, on Oprah, well, God will fool me into thinking my loved ones are in heaven so that I can be in peace. 
that and and I you know that was the best answer that someone had for that and I said well that's yeah that makes a lot of sense because then you don't know who's being tortured the, the fundamental Look, there, there flaw is, at the center yes. is so huge but fear blocks it I, I I'll tell you what if you are a close student of the gospels and of the way Christianity developed and yeah. if you if you are if you get on your knees and ask Jesus for help, he will give it to you. Yes. This is where you end up. Jesus actually in the Gospels tells us not to package his teachings with what we call the Old Testament. He says it right there plain. And of course the New Testament was after Jesus. The part that's in divinely inspired is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and that is all we need. Okay, someone said, what do you mean he said not to do the Old Testament? All right, here's, here's the thing about Jesus' teaching. He was uh, teaching at a time and in a place where to talk against the prevailing religion was an immediate death sentence. You had buy the farm that day. And he, but he had needed to stay alive long enough so he would be able to teach, which was the reason he came. So he spent three and a half years dodging the temple guards. And one of the ways he did it, that's when, that's, by the way, that's why he used parables as much as he did, because he could, he could tell a story and then he could say, he who has ears to hear, let him, he, let him hear. And then go wink, wink, and everybody would know, oh, okay, uh, that, there's a deeper meaning to find, whereas the temple guards would be clueless. But one of the things he did was just was to give pieces of truths over days because his followers would, would hear them all, but the temple guards would change. So one day Jesus said, uh, Jesus was teaching, and someone said, Teacher, um, are you really just replacing the law and the prophets? Now, the temple guards perked up because if Jesus had said yes, they would just have arrested him. Jesus said, No, I didn't come to replace the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. What does he mean by that? Well, another day, um, and and this is actually even in the same gospel, you can find this. uh, Someone says, teacher, what's the most important commandment? And, of course, we know there are ten. And he doesn't go to the ten. He gives us two new ones. He says, the most important commandment is that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. You will love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Then he says a sentence that I've never heard quoted in a church. He says, in that consists all the law and the prophets. So he says he's fulfilled the law and the prophets. And then he says, I'm replacing the law and the prophets. All you need to know is two laws. Love God perfectly, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. The, the, the true thing that Jesus apparently came to do was to reveal to us God's law of love. The, the Jews had progressed to the point where they now were ready to have you know, more advanced teaching, divine teaching, and that was the divine teaching they got. And the rest of the Gospels, in large part, is about how to love. Forgiveness is critical to it. And, and you know, loving God requires that we not fear God. And that's the problem, the central problem, I think, with every Christian church I've ever been associated with. They all teach fear. They teach, you know, fear of God's judgment, um, fear of, uh, of hell, <laughs> fear, yeah. fear of yeah. stuff, which, which you don't have to worry about if you just stay in the pews and keep giving. Um, or if you claim Jesus as your personal Savior, which is a whole other thing we can talk about. But... 
if you fear, you cannot love. Fear and love are the true opposites. Oh, Hatred very isn't. Incompatible. And okay, so They're if opposites. you are fearing yeah. God, you if you fear God, you cannot love God as Jesus has commanded that we love God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot be afraid of God. You know the old saying, "Oh, that's a good God-fearing man." That's yep. that's a, well, that's a very old sad teaching. The, the the new revelation that Jesus gave us two thousand years ago, and I think is freshly giving us today, is that we must love God perfectly. And it, my experience has been only when you get rid of the fear and you're loving God as we're we're meant to, we're beginning anyway to love God as we're meant to love God. Only then can you even see your fellow man well enough to love as we're supposed to love. That's the yeah. foundation. That's why Jesus made it the first rule. Yes, yes. You know, I can personally attest, Roberta, that it was my fear of God. And and truthfully, um, when I had this spiritual emergence, I had to work through that. I literally thought I was at the brink of hell. I mean, it. Re- I had to work through it. But then I was assured that, no, you aren't. I mean, it was almost like an after-death experience, and I had to work yeah. through it, and it took many years. I mean, this this is so ingrained in us that there are people listening, I'm sure, who feel like, um, you know, they have to believe in hell. They just have to. Well, it's ingrained, this fear, but it blocks us from having a full understanding of the love that is available to us. I mean, it really blocks us because the only thing it provides is it's kind of um, a substitute. It's like, well, you know, aren't you grateful that you're not going to hell? And it's right, like, that's so well, sad. that's not oh, a very my good consolation if you have to be with the God who created hell. I mean, you know, we talked on the the Christian apologetic forms. I said that if you were really loving, you'd go rescue your loved ones. You'd do trades with the devil, you know, a mother for their child. I mean, you would, because that's just love. It is not Christian love to just say, you know... Just, just well, I'm just going to throw this person to the curb, you know, the worst possible punishment, and just turn my back. That is the most selfish, fear-based approach. Yeah. That and, yeah. and what do you think is going to be the fruit of that? You know, the Inquisition, the wars, what's still going on? Yeah. Thinking yeah, about yeah. the slaughter in the end times. Okay, you know, it's gonna. We'll go on. Well, we'll get away from your. But although it's really fundamental, it's just I feel it in my heart. Which, by the way, people listening, is not wicked and deceitful. That's one of the great um, difficult verses in Jeremiah that somebody put out there so we wouldn't follow our consciences and our hearts. Jeremiah went bye-bye 2,000 years ago. We just didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, follow the love. Follow what you know to be true. I mean, you just if, if there's know it. Anything, it's so if there's obvious. A, it's right it there. Is, the it love. is obvious, dear, but we have to help people. I, mean, I know I, we I do. Tell, I, I had I to help me. Who, I couldn't do it. I mean, it took me yes. years. Okay, keep going. If, I'm sorry. Anybody, I kinda... <laughs> I, nobody has been a more ardent Christian than I. Yeah. I mean, I could sing I all know. the hymns. Well, I, I felt it yeah. when I was in church. You have no idea how devout I was. After that, those two experiences in childhood, of course I was. So I get it. I get yeah. how wonderful Christianity yeah. is. I get how much you love it. Yeah. But I yeah. found that I had to choose, and I found I love the Lord more, a whole lot yeah. more. And And the Lord is more than enough. But you should yeah. know you were talking about how people should go rescue those who are in hell. In point yeah. of fact... 
Um, there is there is a very lively effort uh, underway uh, in the afterlife levels to rescue those in the outer darkness. They'll all one by one be rescued. They all put themselves there, and it's very hard for them to even see their rescuers. That's how messed up they are. But one of the things that people who have just arrived there will often do, because they're they're not quite at the, a higher vibration yet, is they'll go and work on rescue. And we, I think that's a. I look forward to that. I think that's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah. I have a question for you on that. Um, Someone told me once, because I used to fear I'd be one of these people, because I've spent so many years working through my fear. What about animals? Do they help rescue? Because it seems to me one of the best ways to get someone out of hell would be my dog to come and get me. You know, the hounds of hell in a good way. (laughs) Yeah. One of the wonderful things that um, we, we learn is that animals also have um, a spiritual nature, but it's very different uh-huh. from ours. Uh-huh. And when they die, animals go to what's called a group, a group soul or a group consciousness. They rejoin. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, they're undifferentiated unless uh-huh. they have been loved by a human being. And an any uh-huh. animal that you ever have loved is waiting for you, and is young, is healthy, is happy. And the best part is you don't have to feed or walk them, so you can just <laughs> enjoy them. And my horse is there, and my horse um, is is waiting for me. I'm looking forward very much to seeing him again. So, so it's all based in love. Yeah. yeah. You 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 can't you you really can't have the Old Testament. Parts of it are beautiful. The Psalms, the, the Proverbs. Um, I loved some of the wonderful you know stories. There are great stories about about the the kings and. Saul and David and oh my goodness what a wonderful thing to read but it's not it's wonderful and there's no reason to throw it away but it's not the inspired word of God the inspired word of God is the New Testament and the fact that we have packaged uh, rather especially the gospels in the New Testament the fact that we've packaged it all and called it all the inspired word of God even when it's internally inconsistent has cheated us of really understanding God's word and so Are you there? Yeah, I suddenly suddenly couldn't hear you, and I wondered if oh, I was. Oh no, I'm here. Off, I thought you got cut off, and I thought, great, all the. You know what I saw is all the evangelicals listening. They're going to say, "See it, it shut them down." Yeah. No, <laughs> and, it, it is I hard. I don't want to say no. It, I, and, and you know, darling, it's to hard say, to say these things. I, I think it's I important know. for people listening to understand. The yes. only reason I say them is out of love. Yes. Because. Yes. I mean, I was a Christian most of my life, and yes. I never understood why I was here, really. I mean, I yes. thought I was here just to accept Jesus as my Savior and then someday go home. But um, mm. but that's not true at all. The dead tell us that we're here uh, in order to grow spiritually. That's the reason the universe exists. Jesus tells mm. us we're here to grow spiritually. That's what his whole Gospels are about. He tells some, some uh, parables that uh, are, are kind of hard to except until we understand what he's really talking about. You know, he yeah. says, to to him who has, they'll be given more and he'll have an abundance. And he who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Well, that doesn't sound very loving or fair, Jesus. What are you talking about? He's talking about spiritual growth. We can't be stagnant. We're here to grow spiritually, and if we're not growing spiritually, we're falling back. And then we ourselves condemn ourselves to the outer darkness level. 
But growing spiritually is not an option. It's why we're here. And I didn't understand that until I learned it from the dead. And yet Jesus is, Jesus says it all along. It's just that his words were all, until I started reading just the Gospels, his words were all mixed up with all the other stuff. You, you couldn't really understand what he was saying unless you read just the Gospels. You know, Roberta, when you talk about what you've studied with these life reviews, um, and I know we talked about this in a previous show, I, and I'll probably put both these shows together because um, I want people to, to hear what you had to say about the afterlife, which is a long time ago, but and, and I'm yeah. sure we've both forgotten what exactly, but I know it was powerful. I have reflected on the life review many times and how – um, even a loving way to go about that. Lately, I have been sending love to people who caused me pain, who are reviewing my life. I mean, I really what have been doing this. What a wonderful thing. I have. Good I've been you. saying, you know, I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm really, this really hurts, you know, something I'm going <sighs> through. And I really don't want that person because I know they're going to go through a life oh, review someday yeah. and they're going to oh, see what a that. And, and so I'm just sending them love and forgiveness. Oh I'm my dear, that is love so beautiful across time, yes. because, and that, that I love a, them. Yeah, I, I, I tell people, I tell people, uh, you know, if you have a loved one who's dying, um, before they die, say, "I forgive yeah. you for everything. I love you perfectly. Yeah. I'll see you soon." You know, get release them, forgive them. The what yeah. seems to happen actually, uh, and I've heard it heard it enough that I think it's a phenomenon. Plus, it happened to my own father. People who feel that they have harmed children have a lot of trouble completing the to the afterlife. My father, yeah. 20 years to ask for forgiveness. Um, and I had no idea he even felt he needed forgiveness. Aww. So I, had I known I, when he was dying, I would have said, you know, I don't blame you for anything and I love you and all of that. So say that to your loved ones. Let them know you yeah. forgive them. But Susan, what a wonderful idea. If someone has died and you haven't had a chance to say it, say it now. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want them to feel better as they're going through their life review because I yeah. always want to just walk with them through those parts yeah. where where I was really hurting and going through. Gosh, yeah. see, I'm getting cheered up. I mean, it's so powerful to do this. And and, and I'm probably going to talk about it, too, you know, because I, I, I speak and think it's something I'm going to put into a talk I'm giving coming up because I think that it's it's just a really helpful practice. And it's helping me it's heal because yes. I know I'm it's helping beautiful. their soul. And so, um, so yeah, and, you know, those who, who aren't aware of what we're talking about, um, you know, it is something many, we've had more than one guest on here. I've had Daniel Brinkley on more than once, and he talked yeah. about his, how his life review really changed him, you know, when he came back. And yeah, he had, first he had a really scary one, and then he shaped yeah. himself up, and he had a much better one. Yeah, it's a true, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, he is. It's important yes. for people to understand, because we hear so much about near-death experiences, that they're a different Different, different phenomenon from completed death. Yeah. Um, near-death experiences. Anybody, we are told That's by the true. dead that anybody who Powerful. is going to come back, it's it, it, they they have never not actually died. That's the, it. That's the, right. ast- the astral levels are much much uh, bigger than the universe. Yes. I think roughly yes. it's a seven to one ratio, something like that. And uh, there are a lot of places that are astral, um, you know, realms that are beautiful that are not where the dead are. Um, yeah. Often people in a near-death experience will come to a place and they'll be told, if you go any further, you will not be able to go back. Well, they they become sort of close to where the dead are. Now, our dead loved ones can certainly come out and meet with us during a near-death experience. And um, what what he needed 
was to have was to go through a judgment. So he sure as heck went through two judgments. But yeah. um, many many uh, near death experiences will contain religious symbols. Uh-huh. In all of the communications from the dead that I have ever read, there's no religion at all. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so the religious symbols are pulled by our guides and, and who are helping us through it. During a near-death experience, they'll often pull religious symbols from our minds to comfort us, especially with children. That little boy who uh, featured in Heaven is for Real, yes. he had a yes. heck of... I, I just imagine how the beautiful beings and the, and the angels loved putting on that show for him because he was a little Christian boy. He was going back and they didn't want to confuse him. So bless their hearts. But that wasn't a real death. Nothing like that happens in a genuine death. Well, and we don't know how much, you know, he was influenced by by his parents. I've studied well, that, yes. too, how people are in robes. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, people do. And you just said something really important. You know, I know we're going to end up talking again soon because cause there's ahead. almost no way to cover all of this. And yeah. the energy is so beautiful. Um, but uh, you just said something really important, and I want to make sure people did hear that, is that, you know, I've had a lot of near-death experience experts on and different things, but it's true. We haven't gone all the way to anyone who's gone through an NDE, obviously came back, you know. And so we only know that that's the nature of an NDE. We don't, you know, ex- when when you're t- uh, giving that account, you know, of, and I've so value those accounts that people give. Yes. But oh, me they're too. talking about an NDE, which is different from going all the way through the process because obviously if they went all the way through the process they wouldn't be talking about their NDE. <laughs> and so so and and even logically it's important to look at it that way, I feel. So so you said something really important there I wanted to emphasize. I think that part of the, what's fun about what I do, and I, I have the luckiest life on earth, what I do is the most fun anybody could possibly have on this side. It's much more fun over there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, but part of what's fun is that it's all it all fits together so perfectly. Yeah. The, the afterlife researchers that I know have all come to the same conclusions about just about everything, and they all love liberating Jesus, by the way, because they've all been concerned about Christianity as they come to understand what's true. But um, we're putting together this gigantic puzzle. And so we're kind of skeptical of any new thing because we don't want to mess up this true puzzle with things that might not be true. But more and more, it's all coming into view, and it is all so beautiful. To come to understand the infinite love of a perfectly loving God, I think you almost have to look at the whole picture, not just the earth side, because God's love is probably even more manifest in the afterlife levels than here. I mean, it's like God plans the most wonderful, joyous things for us to do. It's beautiful there. It's like the earth only beautiful. And and it gets more and more beautiful. The the, the more loving we become, the higher our vibration goes. And there's everything you could possibly want to do there. And as my depression-bruised mother-in-law said, you can do whatever you want. You can can buy buy whatever you want, but you don't need money. I thought that was so funny. Um, But it's just beautiful. God loves us more than we could possibly even grasp. And I want people to know that. God loves you just as you are. You're perfect, God, just as you are. Yes. You know you know what I love about um the the teachings that come from certainly from conservative Christian and you know all of, for so much of my life Roberta I was told about the personal 
love of God. And I will tell you, my fear and my difficulty with the the contradictions and not understanding who God actually was got in the way of that. But that notion, that fact, that truth, it's not just a notion, of the personal love of God is incredible. And and sometimes, even in other belief systems, I have seen where we get distanced from that because it becomes very cold and, you know, this is just a law and it becomes yet That's another right. set That's right. of dogma and laws That's right. that distance us from that personal love of God. And you really bring that through. You, there's something I wrote as a note from your book, just that, that religions get in the way of our relationship with God. And there can be many, many religions. You know, there can be a lot of dogma that can get in that yes. way, and even in, in unexpected places. Yeah, there are more than 40,000 at the moment and counting uh, versions of Christianity which by by itself tells you that Christianity is having a problem. Well, they are I struggling, so many, yes. I meet so <laughs> yeah. many people who were raised either Catholic or Protestant, and they, uh, in, in some cases, evangelical Protestant, and uh, they have fallen away altogether. I raised yeah. my children yeah. devoutly Catholic. Not a one of them is practicing any kind of religion now. Yeah. That is not uh, my fault or their fault. It's the fault of the religion itself, which is so unsatisfying. The truth is satisfying. The truth fits. The truth makes you free and it makes you whole. But what's yeah. interesting about it is something that, that I'd like to share. I began to try seriously to live by the Gospels almost five years ago because when The Fun of Dying came out and it had a little appendix about all this, someone in one of the first talks I gave said, well, so does it work? And I said, does what work? And he said, the teachings, do they really work? And I said, oh, of course. But then I said, you know, I better fig- figure it out if they actually do work. So I started trying to live by them. What I found was, A, there are good tricks for doing it, and but B, it, yes, they work beautifully, and they work fast. Within months, I was starting to see that I was being transformed. And by five years later, I don't even know the person I was before. So, But it's first now that I start to ask myself, why do the teachings of Jesus work so beautifully? And I just recently, within the past few weeks, have come up with an answer. Actually, a friend of mine, and we were talking about it, gave me the answer. And, of course, this is the answer. You're not learning anything new. You're remembering who and what you really are. That's why the teachings work so beautifully. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I. It, it's just it liberates us. When you liberate Jesus, you liberate That's us right. right along That's with. That's so true. Isn't that uh, wonderfully true? I'm feeling. Yeah. It. I, it's you know I'm in tears. I mean, really, when that's that spirituality for me, it's real. It's authentic, and you just you you are in awe. I mean, I'm just feeling it right here. I mean, as we speak, and and it's beautiful. It is a thing of beauty, and that's how you know. That's how you know you're in touch with the love. But but it does. People don't have to give up Christianity to follow that, Jesus. Yeah, I used to think yeah, they did. You don't. Yeah. Here's a way to enhance your faith walk, whatever that faith walk is. Just Take the gospel, take a red-letter version of a modern translation of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's it. And just read Jesus without the rest of the religion in the way. That's all. I mean, if you believe he died for your sins, 
I think you owe him a little something, and, and he asks that we read his teachings. He asks that we follow them. If you, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's right from John. I've forgotten the citation. So, yeah, let's just do that little thing for him. I think you'll find as you begin to do it, it's very addicting. But it was a long time um, that eventually I found, within the last couple of years only, that I, I really couldn't go to church anymore, but I didn't need to anymore. Uh, this was enough. But until you feel that Jesus is enough for you, you don't have to give up being a Christian. But you do, I think, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've got to start taking him much more seriously than any Christian denomination takes him today. Yes. I should add one more thing, Susan, which is that in the afterlife levels, Jesus is much more revered than he is here. In the afterlife levels, they call him the master. They never, I've never seen him or them refer to him as the Lord or, you know, Jesus, the master. And he is the most important figure by far in all of the afterlife and then, that I've ever, you know, heard anything about. Much, much more revered there than here. And I think they know a lot more than we do about what's really going on. Well, you know, we're we're actually running out of time in our live <laughs> show, but but I I want to thank you so much, and I want to remind people that robertagrimes.com is where they need to go to to. You've had several books that that you have published, and um, thank you, Roberta, for for sharing what you know just so courageously and authentically from your heart. I mean, I I really appreciate you. And thank, thank you, you darling. I appreciate here. what you're doing too, because you, you speak as someone who has been part of evangel- an evangelical church, and you've gone through so much, and now you're sharing it. That's very courageous. That's beautiful. Oh, and any time you want me to come back, I'll be happy to do it. This you is know, I, I think we have stop talking about. We have more to explore. I can feel it. <laughs> we do. We do. Bless and, you, dear. And I just love it. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. And you, you take big care until the next Big hug and, and big, big hug, hug to everybody listening. Yeah. Let's just send that out across time to everyone live <laughs> and in the future. No matter when you are listening to this show, oh, feel yes. this hug from us. <laughs> oh, yes. Big hug. All right. Take care, Roberta. We'll talk again soon. You too. Thank we'll you. talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, quickly, quickly to the live audience. Oh, we have such wonderful guests coming up. You know, it's been miraculous how this schedule's coming together. Um, Ariel Ford recently confirmed she'll be on before Valentine's Day. That's a wonderful gift to the show. Um, Dr. Linda Backman's coming back. She hasn't been on in a while. She's been on a couple times, and she's another person who talks about the afterlife. Um, we've got Diane Collins coming back, a really amazing way shower. And I've got more, potentially some really amazing guests I'm in, are in the works. And I want to remind people that there's an appearance coming up, and I, I would so love to meet you at the Los Angeles Conscious Life Expo. It's about a month out. Now's the time to get your discounted t- ticket, ConsciousLifeExpo.com. I am speaking 7 p.m. Saturday night. I'm going to be talking on a very adventurous topic, multidimensional living, basically consciously talking about some of these things, like what I just told Roberta about sending love when people are having a life review. We are not bound by time. 
So, and I'm going to be there at a booth. Um, I think it's 706. It's by the food and the music, and usually I'm right by Daniel Brinkley. So uh, we talked about that on our show uh, when he was on recently. So, And he's he's a fun soul to, to talk with, and he's usually right next door. Um, and um, I'll be doing a live show from the Expo on the 19th. Um, Diane um, Bischoff-James is going to be at my booth part of the time, and so you can come see her there. So FrontierBeyondFear.com, live audience. I'm about to lose you. That's where you'll find the archive shows and more information. Um, and those of you who are listening across time in the podcast, um, I do appreciate you. I'm really very – part of my path I feel that I'm guided to talk about is all of the work that we can do across time. There is a lot of work there um, of being conscious across time, and that passes right through the afterlife. I mean, it goes everywhere, future lives, sending love to ourselves. It's all about – how can we love and forgive and just, um, you know, be conscious that we are not bound by things that we think we're bound by? So, um, again, um, I invite you to to explore FrontierBeyondFear.com. Go to RobertaGrimes.com to learn more about our wonderful guest today. And I better tell you what our next show is um, right now. And I don't think this will change this time because there's a lot going on right now. My next show is next Wednesday, um, which is January 27th. And Joan Serio is coming back on. She's going to talk more about the shift. And her book is Hardwired to Heaven, um, very heart-based teaching. And she's a scientist. We have a lot of researchers who've come on. Um, I come from a scientific background as well. So, so much, so much going on, wonderful things. Thank you, everyone, for being here. And I do so look forward to seeing you again next time or whenever this show finds you. Take care, everyone. 